Welcome to God's Table Talk, where real life stories and testimonies of faith are brought to the table. I'm your host, Paul Eck. Right now on God's Table Talk, our guest is Ronnie Ravens, affectionately known as the Preaching Machine. Ronnie, first of all, welcome to God's Table Talk. So proud to be here, brother. Now let's get it. Let's get it started here. Uh, a lot of people get saved teenage years, later years in life. You got saved at four years old, but it was a very, it was a very uh, interesting situation. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. Tell us the story of how at four years old you got saved. What was the, all the happenings around that? My uh, grandfather, Dean Hetty Sr., he preached uh, forty-two years in the Assemblies of God. But he preached everywhere, but he was credentialed with them. Uh, he raised me, and he was pastoring at Davisville Assembly of God in Davisville, Missouri. Plus, he was pastoring the Assembly of God Church in Berryman, was about a half hour away. And uh, on Sunday morning, he'd preach at one church, and my grandmother, his wife, would preach at the other one. Didn't they switch off on the, the night services? And uh, they, we was living at the parsonage in Davisville, and there come a tremendous snowstorm uh, back in the early 50s. And uh, in fact, it was three feet. And uh, during the next night after the storm, uh, me and my brother and my uncles slept upstairs in what we called a pallet. Didn't really have a bed, it was a pallet on the floor. And I woke up, and I was just soaked in sweat. And uh, Brother Paul, I was just burning up. And I tried to get up to walk downstairs where my mother was. Uh, she uh, was uh, in the family way with my brother Jerry. And uh, I crawled down the steps. And I remember pulling on the bed, and I got her arm, and she put me in bed with her. And she said, son, you'll be all right in the morning. But when the morning came, I was worse. And within three days, I was paralyzed from the neck down, and uh, literally a pretzel. And I couldn't raise my head up, and I could see people, like, from their knee down to the floor. And uh, Blanche Pyatt and uh, Dory Baker went to that church and uh, just queenly, godly ladies. Uh, they uh, come and help my mom with me because she was uh, about to have a, my brother, Jerry. And uh, an angel came to my grandfather in uh, Berryman, Missouri. We owned 80 acres up on a hill there. And the angel spoke to him. He said, Ronnie Dean's about to die. I, I, my middle name is his name. His name's Dean Hetty. And uh, my mother named me after my grandfather. And the angel said, Ronnie Dean's about to die. And uh, you've got to get over there to Davisville and pray for him. He's not going to make it. And uh, my grandfather and my grandmother uh, got in the car. And, and uh, the roads were still terrible. Uh, they'd called Dr. Roby, a, a real uh, popular doctor in Steelville, and he tried to make it to uh, Davisville, roughly 10, 12 miles, 
in a four-wheel drive Jeep and slid off in the road. He, he didn't make it a mile. And he called back to the Baker home and said, if the boy weathers the storm, bring him in. And uh, my grandfather said that angel was with them and made sure they got to Davisville. Now, a lot of people, you know, uh, haven't heard stories like this, but back in the, the 50s, back in that day, and even the early 60s, angels' appearances were very common. And you go through all the Bible, Old and New Testament, angels' appearances were as real as the sun at high noon. And uh, my grandfather come in, I heard his voice, and uh, my grandmother come in with him, and uh, my two uncles were there with my mom and uh, uh, two or three of the church people. And they had me in a chair, and I, I, I couldn't see my grandpa, but I heard his voice, and I started crying. And uh, I could see him from the knees down to the floor. And he got down on the floor on his knees and stuck his hand out and pointed to me. And that's one reason, that's my trademark, is this. I have thousands of pictures, and, and I'm pointing. And he pointed at me. And I, I could see that glow. I, I didn't know right then it was the angel, but I, I seen there was an extra glow, uh, an extra light in that room. And uh, he got down on his knees and he pointed to me. And I could see him. And he said, Ronnie, Ronnie Dean, in the mighty name of Jesus, be healed. And he said that three times. And the last time he said, in the mighty, holy name of Jesus, be healed. And every bone in my body that was crippled and like a pretzel began to pop. And my mom, Aldine, started speaking in tongues, the Galatia language of the Holy Ghost. And she, she did a Holy Ghost jitterbug right there in the living room. And she said, Dad, every bone in his body's popping. And it just went like that. And I was literally almost airborne. And my grandpa got me. And he just whirled me around and around. And I started just rejoicing. I, I knew what had happened, but, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I know the sun's up there. And he's taking care of us, but there's still a lot of things I don't know about the king of the east. But I knew something had happened. And uh, I sat on his lap. And then I went out with my brother Denny and my uncles, uh, Tommy and Junior, and we played in the snow for a, a little while, and I come back. And uh, Tom, my uncle, heard what my grandpa said, he, he looked at me and he said, son, you're going to go to Dr. Roby. He's going to x-ray you. He's going to look over you. And he's going to say this, this boy has had polio in the worst degree, but somehow he's weathered the storm. But when I went to the doctor a few days later and the roads were clear, Tom went in with me and my mother and Dr. Roby, after examining me at least 30 minutes, he looked at my mom and said, 
Aldine, this boy's had polio in the worst degree, but he's weathered the storm. And my uncle broke down and wept. And he and his brother, as teenagers, began to preach the gospel. And I preached with them for a while. And we'd get, come back together at times, but I went out on my own. But uh, Tommy said that's why he entered the ministry, because he knew that had to be God. And he started preaching. And him and his brother preached in the Assemblies of God for many years. Uh, the Hetty brothers, they, they almost invented tag team preaching. <laughs> and they wanted preach a while and the other preach a while just like me and the champ Nikita does. And uh, that's, that's how it all started. And I got saved when I was four years old. I didn't know everything, Paul, that was happening, but I, I knew I was saved. And when I was 12 years old, then I uh, accepted the call to enter the ministry. And Cherryville is about seven miles from Davisville. That's where I graduated from high school. I'm a raven but I proudly proclaim I was a Cherryville Blue Jay. <laughs> and uh, when I graduated, I had 35 medals. I uh, had every record in baseball, especially hitting the ball out of parks that had never been hit out before. And uh, I uh, had several track records, and I was also Mr. Basketball and King of the Prom. God had really promoted me and blessed me and gave me favor with all my teachers and the students. And uh, I went through barber school after I uh, graduated from high school. And I was in barber school about three months, and I, I, I yielded to the call. And I've been preaching ever since. One question I have for you, the doctor that told them to bring you in after the roads cleared. How did he respond when he he when he evaluated you and realized what what had happened? I mean, did did he what did it take him aback or was he a believer and it wasn't that big of a deal? I'm assuming it had to be kind of a shock to see how bad your condition was and here you were three or four days later and you were as if nothing happened. He knew our family. He in that same parsonage where I got healed uh, delivered my brother Jerry, he get, you know, when he was, he was being born. And also my brother Denny uh, in uh, Berryman. Both of my uh, two older, well, I'm the oldest, but I got a baby brother Jay that looks almost exactly like me. We all favor. But Dennis was born in the Berryman Assembly of God Parsonage, and Jerry was born in the Davisville Assembly of God Parsonage. He knew us, and back then, Doctors made house calls. That, that was just uh, common. And uh, I remember, you know, I remember my pa, uh, I thought we called him, my grandpa was pa and my grandmother was Graham. I remember what he said, but Tom remembered it more than I did. And he was in there. And after all the examin uh, examination and to uh, throw fuel on your fire, Paul, there, I... I performed marriages of people I went to school with who had uh, limbs, a leg, or, or an arm that were crippled. And they got the same time I did. I, I, I believe this to a degree. Uh, most of the doctors back then 
in that area felt that the polio came as uh, with the snow. It had something to do with it. You know, they'll tell you not to eat the first snow. And they just felt like the snow had a reaction some way. And they held it pretty well responsible. And this was three years before Spock invented the vaccine to cure polio. And by the way, as far as I know, that's the only cure. There's been no cures for cancer and different things. And, and that was uh, the Grand Slam home run there. And uh, that's something to ponder on because there's not been any other uh, vaccines or anything basically to cure anything since that day. And uh, it was three years before that, Paul. So it was totally a God thing. It was by the stripes of Jesus, your heal. Jehovah Rapha, your healer. God sent his word and healed them. Simon Peter said, uh, by the stripes of Jesus, we were and are healed. And uh, so Dr. Roby knew us. He knew we were all Pentecostal, full gospel, and we love the Lord. And, and we uh, were ministers, uh, my whole family. And uh, when he said that, he, he, he pondered a while. He just didn't come out with it at first. And he said uh, to my mom, he said, Aldine, uh, this boy, your son here has had polio. And, and he, you know, he just pondered a while and he goes, but somehow, some way. And he pointed at me, he said, this boy's weathered the storm. Well, some of those other kids I knew had been in there and they didn't survive. They was going to be crippled the rest of their life unless God gave them a miracle. And uh, so my uh, uncle Tommy saw him in that expression. I remember it just like today. And uh, I felt like he was wanting to say, I know it's the Lord. <laughs> but he just said it was a higher power than what we doctors can do. He did acknowledge that. So I'm going to ask you a difficult question, Ronnie. How do you or what do you say to people who you tell this to about this miracle and they had relatives or friends or family members who had people pray over them and they didn't get healed like you did. What do you say to them and why do you feel like you were given that favor to be healed completely over somebody else? Is it a tough question to ask? No, it's, it's very, very easy, brother. Number one, you know, Paul, the apostle, the champion preacher of the resurrection, he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was sent from Satan to buffet him. And he asked the Lord three times to take it away. And Jehovah God thundered like a lion from his den and said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You will find strength and victory through Christ because I'm going to allow this to abide with you. And... Uh, I have prayed for many people who were crippled and God healed them. Uh, the Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you. There are some people in this life who have a uh, so-called thorn in the flesh, a physical fleshly ailment that God allows it to happen for their humility and being close to him. 
Paul would not have been as close to God without his thorn in the flesh. And uh, God's healing is for everybody. But sometimes uh, that plate is on the table. And sometimes, Paul, they just don't have faith. You know, Jesus said, as your faith be it unto you. And uh, one person he was praying for, he said uh, to Jesus, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And Jesus did this. The Bible says, through faith and by faith. And Jesus said, when I return to the earth, will I find faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Through faith, we understand that the world's were framed by the word of God. And the things we see were not made by things which do appear. Paul, the champion preacher of the resurrection, said this, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. But Paul, this is the greatest thing he ever said. I have kept the faith. Faith is something you keep. You keep the faith and the faith will keep you. He said, I fought a good fight. Well, I'm giving the devil a good fight. I'm no tiny Tim preacher tiptoeing through the tulips and playing Pop Goes the Weasel around the mulberry bush with the devil. I'm giving the devil a good fight. I'm going to fight the devil till hell freezes over. Then I'll fight him on ice skates. And if I lose my teeth in the battle, I'll gum the booger man to death. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! I'm giving the devil a good fight. And Paul said, I, I, I finished my course. But the greatest thing he said, I kept the faith. I fought lions at Ephesus. I, I, I was stoned at Lustra. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. For me to live is Christ, to die is game. He said, I have kept the faith. And if you keep the faith, the faith will keep you. It wasn't just faith. It was the faith. And Jude, the brother of Jesus, said it's our most holy faith. Hallelujah. That make an Egyptian mummy shout. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish a Jersey milk cow was hearing this interview uh, here Sunday. Tomorrow morning, that Jersey milk cow would give chocolate milk. <laughs> Well, I've always told people, too, that a lot of the people that make the biggest impact, though, are people that do live with a thorn in their flesh. You yes. see people who have, you know, there are so many great Christian speakers who have a deformity of some sort yes. and what we would view as a disability. But I tell people, and, they, and people say, well, why wouldn't God heal them? I said, because he can, that person can make a bigger impact because of the way they are. They don't use it as a handicap. They accept it and know that it's all to God anyway. The glory is Praise to God. God. That's a point well taken, Paul. Remember when Jacob wrestled with Jehovah God that redeemed him from all evil, he walked with a limp the rest of his life. And uh, when uh, Esau, his brother, saw him, he had compassion on him. He was ready to kill him. He had compassion on him. They became friends again, you know. Uh, and he changed his name from Jacob the deceiver to Israel. He, he went from a man and a surplanter to a nation. So that's a point well taken, Paul. 
So let's talk a little bit about, you said you were in barber school and then you decided to start preaching. Um, <laughs> you've had a, an, a pretty amazing life. Um, you've, you've been involved with some very famous people. I think, I think well, I'm trying to figure out where to start from with you. I'm going to say, uh, start with, I guess, how did the involvement with wrestling? Because you've been with Nikita Koloff, who I've interviewed, is the one that got me in touch with you. Where did all this start? Where, where you all of a sudden had this connection with these famous people or these wrestlers, and then it went on from there? To begin with, about famous people, I didn't really know Farrah Fawcett. I always thought Jacqueline Smith was the prettiest anyway, <laughs> but I had nothing against Farrah. Uh, but I uh, I didn't know Farrah Fawcett, but it all started. I knew uh, her sisters, Leaky and Drippy Fawcett. <laughs> and I knew her grandfather, Frozen Fawcett. <laughs> That's how that all started. <laughs> uh the, how I got hooked up with the wrestlers was uh, the tag team partner of Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, he was originally from uh, Desark, uh, Piedmont, Annapolis, and Vulcan, Missouri area. And uh, Rusty T. Brewer was trying to get something going in Potosi. And uh, the mayor told him to come out and talk to me. I was on the campground at Stony Point at that time. And uh, we embraced, became friends, and he got me acquainted with Harley Race. And Harley and I became best of friends. Uh, Harley gave me his King of the Ring ring. <laughs> that tells you, you know, how close we was. And uh, Harley uh, gave me favor, tons of favor. And he was champion eight times, plus he was the King of the Ring. And he'd let me preach in the middle of the ring during their intermissions. He'd let me bring in other guest speakers as well as gospel singers. And, uh, and tons of times he, he'd give me, uh, I'd want an autograph for somebody, you know. Most of the time he didn't even charge me. Upstairs in my hall, I've got 52 pictures of me and Harley Race, and they're all autographed. And he, he's just been a special friend. And then when I met Nikita Koloff through uh, King Cobra, uh, I had a revival center at Stony Point between uh, Park Hills and uh, Potosi. And we had two o'clock services. And he was going to be there that Sunday. Well, he and I was in uh, St. Louis at the St. Louis house, the, the German house. And over 2,000 was there. And Harley had an event, and uh, I was going to preach at, at one of the intermissions, and uh, he let me bring uh, Nikita in, and we tag-teamed, and been doing it for 24 years. <laughs> uh, but this is how it all started. And then uh, Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, uh, Harley practically raised him. His dad and Harley were tag-team champions, and Ted's dad died in Harley's arms. They was in the ring going through uh, the motions of, uh, you know, the tag team. And uh, from that moment on, uh, Ted really looked at Harley as, as another dad. 
and Harley got Ted uh, in wrestling, uh, and he became the Million Dollar Man. Well, that's how I met uh, Teddy, he called him. <laughs> and that's how I met Teddy, and uh, we'd done events together. And then uh, I met, uh, through that same bunch, uh, Ox Baker, and then I met uh, Juan Hernandez, who was the world champion, karate champion, five times. And then he introduced me to different people. And uh, he and I done events together and, and preaching. Uh, Greg the Hammer and I have preached, and Ted and I have preached. And, and it was like a domino effect. But each and every one of them, God gave me favor with them. And it just went on and on. And, and that's how that happened. Because one wrestler literally rejected in, in the town next to me. And the mayor said, you go out there to uh, River of Life campgrounds. The preaching machine, he'll hook up with you. And we went to uh, Potosi, had over 1,200 people there and all kinds of athletes. And it was just a Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, Red Letter Day. That's how that's bonded. So do you call yourself a minister, a reverend, a preacher? How do you... What do you see as what you, because I'm assuming you've never had like your own church, have you? Yes, I, I pastored uh, three times. Okay. But some people said I pestered. <laughs> uh, it, it's still 50-50. <laughs> uh, but uh, the last time I had a revival center and I was pastor evangelist, and I did that seven years, I still went out and evangelized, but I tried to be there at 2 o'clock every Sunday for our service. And having it at 2 o'clock on Sunday, others come in. You know, other pastors and churches would attend because it wouldn't affect in their uh, worship. But I have pastored. So what's the difference between, because some people probably say, what's the difference between a minister and a pastor and a preacher? What do you, when you go out there and, preach does it change whether it's your own flock or if you're preaching to people who are new to you well the first thing you exalt christ and preach the cross of calvary and the resurrection that never changes but uh, you know there's a five-fold ministry and the evangelist is right in the middle you've got uh, apostles uh, you've got the prophets evangelists pastors and teachers and helps and the Evangelist is right in the middle of all of them. Uh, an evangelist is not a pastor. He doesn't go in and try to take the pastor's place. And here's exactly my mission as an evangelist. Number one, exalt Christ. Preach the cross of Calvary where the precious imperial blood of Jesus ran red like crimson rain. Where he had the Alps on his right shoulder the Himalayas on his left, and every sin from Eden to the gates of hell bearing in his own body. Preach the cross and Calvary where angels shaved the darkness with their wings and rocks left their ancient cohesion. And Jesus walked the wine fat, trod the wine press alone, and made his grapes red in the vintage of his own blood and gripped his fist over a spike-driven nail and shouted to highest heaven and lowest hell, It is finished! And he didn't die as death killed him. 
he gave up the ghost. Big difference there. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I give it. I'm laying it down. He said, my father gave me a commandment. I have power to lay this body down, and I have power to take it up again. Nobody takes my life from me. So he commended his spirit into the hand of his heavenly father, and he gave up the ghost. And he died the victim of a Roman cross. 72 hours later, God coughed in Greek. He sneezed in Latin. He spit in chronology. He spoke in Hebrew and thundered like a lion from his den. He said, son, 72 hours ago, you were the victim of a Roman cross. Today, I'm making you the victor over a Jewish grave. They put you to sleep a lamb, but I'm waking you up, the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. He resurrected from the dead. He took the smile off the face of the grinning skull, handcuffed the lightning, put thunder in jail, and put the machinery of death in reverse. Death, hell, the grave, and Satan didn't have the juice to keep the big boy down. He painted a rainbow of victory and resurrection hope in the valley of the shadow of death, and he's alive forevermore. History says there was more glory. God's effervescent Shekinah glory when Jesus resurrected from the dead than there was in the six days of creation. Because Jesus lives, we shall live also. And that is the evangelist. He, he preaches Christ. He exalts Christ. He preaches the cross. He doesn't come in and try to set people straight. He preaches Jesus. He exalts Christ. And he, he blesses the head. He touches that pastor. And then if you touch and bless the head, the rest of the body will be blessed as well. He blesses the pastor. He blesses his ministry. He blesses his family. He blesses the church. He exalts Christ. When he leaves, they may not remember him, but they know who he talked about. That, that's the work of an evangelist. And that's your job. Yes, it is, brother. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, let's go a little bit further. We talked about your, you, your getting work with, working with professional wrestlers, but maybe the more famous person that you got connected with, Metal Arc Lemon from the Harlem Globetrotters, you guys did 300 events together. Explain how that all came about. It, it was just a major miracle like the other. Uh, when you make something happen for someone, God will make something happen for you. Uh, Frank Shelton, uh, he, he's mastered a hundred voices. Uh, he worked with Billy Graham, and him and Franklin Graham are best of friends. He's been on their payroll. He, he worked with them and for them. And uh, Billy Graham said he he done him better than he done himself. <laughs> he, he's that great. And uh, he... Uh, I, I, we became friends, and I, I blessed him, and... Uh, he returned the favor. Uh, he uh, was uh, really close to Metal Ark Lemon. And they'd done events for like two years. And Metal Ark was in uh, St. Louis. And Albert Pujols was with the Cardinals at that time. And he and Albert were Siamese twins. 
they they done events together to help what uh, Albert called his kids, and I've been in on those uh, several times. And uh, he was here, and he called Frank, and he said, uh, "Frankie boy, do you know anybody in Missouri, here in St. Louis, that could get me a weekend and, and help me out?" And I I'd let him preach with me. He said, "The preaching machine." And uh, he gave me a lark, my number, and he called me, and I, I went uh, up to St. Louis, and we met, had breakfast together, and just to say I was in awe is an understatement. Well, I have to stop just a minute. I can't imagine picking up the phone and having Metal Lark Lemon <laughs> on the other end. I mean, what? that's got to be. <laughs> I was eating grapes and spitting seeds, eating grapes as big as Alabama watermelons. <laughs> I was in Canaan land, <laughs> flowing with milk and honey. So it starts there on just a favor, as you said, um, and it grew. Talk about that. Uh, we did the uh, Baptist church here in town, First Free Will Baptist with Pastor, Pastor Roger Hogan. That's where I'd had Metal Ark, I mean, uh, Nikita and, and uh, other wrestlers there as well. And uh, so, uh, you know, when you call up and say, this is a preacher machine, I've got the greatest superstar, living legend in basketball, uh, the crown prince of basketball, the master and king of hoops. Uh, can we work out something to get Metal Ark Lemon in? Well, it's not a caution light. It's not a red light. It's a green light. Bang, zoom. As Metal Ark says, we'll be shaking and baking. <laughs> and uh, so we started there, and then we went over to Revive Assembly of God in Collinsville, Illinois, with Pastor Miles Holmes. And uh, oh, it, it just went from one extreme to the other. But the bottom line is when we come back to Missouri that night, I, I seen it. I thought it was the apex and I wouldn't get, you know, go any farther. And uh, God gave me favor with Metal Ark. Two weeks later, he called me and he said, Machine. <laughs> this is your first cousin, Lark. <laughs> and he goes, I want to start traveling with you. He said, God spoke to me, and he said, I, I want you uh, to be my spiritual mentor. I, I want you to help me. And his, within six months, brother, his preaching, I mean, the Holy Ghost had come down, and he'd go, machine, what are you doing to me? <laughs> I said, well, I'm rubbing off on you a little bit, but I said, this is the Holy Ghost. And uh, he just excelled, brother. When the five years we were together, he was a totally different minister, not a person, not an athlete, but a minister. And, and Nikita Koloff was the same way. When Nikita Koloff and I started preaching, he was known 100% for being five-time world champion, the Russian nightmare. Today, there's people who know Nikita Koloff and don't even know he was a Cub Scout, much less than champion of the world five times. His ministry is what's carrying him now. His wrestling don't have to come in the picture. It does and forever will. But Nikita Koloff don't need any wrestling and championship status 
The Holy Ghost anointing on his life is what's carrying him. And the same way with uh, Lex Luger, the total package. He and I have done a bunch of stuff together as well as triple headers with Nikita. And Lex Luger isn't being carried uh, by his wrestling status. The anointing of the Holy Ghost is carrying him as well. And, and that's how uh, Metalark and I got together. And, and one thing I, I'll share with you, you know, anytime he spoke in public, he always got $5,000. And I told him, I said, uh, Metalark, the churches I preach in, I preached over 9,000 times, five continents, over 40 states in America, and, and I, I come freely. I, I come from a, for a love offering. I, I don't put a fee on my uh, finances. There's no strings attached. And uh, so I, you, you need to know that, Lark. His exact word. Well, first cousin, just tell the pastor to put a lot of love in the love offering. <laughs> Now, I, I'm assuming you must know this. Was Meadowlark, was he a Christian all those years he was with the Globetrotters, or was this something after? Because obviously you're talking about in the 2000s, he was not as active in the Globetrotters at that time. Was it something that he was called to do after he was done doing all the touring with the Harlem Globetrotters for decades? Yes, uh, he was leaning that way. But his real ministry started in the very early 80s. But he and Roosevelt Greer mm. and Damon Wilson, uh, I got a picture, he autographed it for me, are with Ronald Reagan. And they're praying, speaking in tongues, and worshiping God and Jesus Christ. He was one of the main instruments that got Ronald Reagan and Nancy on the side of the Lord. And when Ronald Reagan and Nancy were in office as president and first lady, they had him in Washington, D.C. all the time. They dearly loved the man. And, uh, but he, he had great influences, not only on presidents, but you, you could walk in a restaurant, Paul, and somebody would walk up and start hugging him. And most of them were white. And, and just start crying and say, Medlock, you have no idea what an influence you had on my dad. And us, we'd go see you in person, but twice a year you was on Wild World of Sports, and my dad and grandparents would be sitting on stools two feet from the TV. And he, he would always say, well, that may have been my father. It may not have been me. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, People always ask me how old I am, and I tell them I'm the best-looking, the prettiest, 150-year-old evangelist on planet Earth. <laughs> well, Medlark outdone me because we go to schools and, and have uh, assemblies, especially for our basketball games with the Harlem All-Stars, and, and get the crowd and the kids all stirred up, and uh, they'd get their parents excited. And <laughs> I, I spoke and then... He spoke in this gym, and there was, there was over a 1,000 in there. And uh, he goes, well, my first cousin, Raven, he's 150 years old. I'm 250 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so when was the last time you saw 
Meadowlark? Because I know he's no longer around, but when was the last time? Did you see him close to when he passed away, or was yes. it been a while? Uh, we were planning on going in January to uh, Florida and do some uh, work there around Jacksonville. And uh, he, uh, he had had surgery on his heart, and they went in on the side. And, and this is an amazing story. Uh, he was in the hospital in Phoenix, and uh, the doctor that did the heart surgery was one of very few who could do it. And they told him he had had rheumatic fever probably when he was 12, and he didn't know it. And, and, and it, it had done this damage to his heart. And the doctor started crying. He just wept. And Meadowlark couldn't talk without crying. And he said, preaching machine. I talked to him. He was in the hospital. He was under a different name. He was, uh, he was John Smith. <laughs> but he'd call me. He'd got one of the nurses to get his uh, cell phone. And he'd call me from the ICU. He wasn't supposed to be talking. And he'd had, you know, whatever he had on in his mouth, he'd have to take it out. He'd go, preach a machine. I want to preach as soon as we're out of here. Set me up some services. We'll tag team. And it'd be, you know, talk like that. And uh, this doctor had a picture. He was from Egypt. He was five years old. And Metalark. And the Harlem Globetrotters had went over there and played. And he's patting him on the head. <laughs> Held him in his lap. He had those pictures. And he said, do you know who that boy is? And he said, no. He said, it's me. I'm your heart doctor. God orchestrated that. And he said, no one. In this world, on planet Earth, does God want to do that surgery but me, the one you patted on the head and set on your lap when I was five years old in Egypt? And, and Metalark couldn't tell the story without weeping. Uh, it, it, it was amazing. Well, he passed away in his sleep uh, at 5 o'clock, uh, December 27th. Frank Shelton called me. I was in my bedroom in this house and told me. And the last time I saw him, we was here in Missouri preaching the gospel together. Well, the next time you tag team, you're going to be in a pretty good place. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to we're going to stand on the arch of the rainbow and fling kisses to the rumbling thunder and pencil ugly blushes on the face of the tempest while the pattering rain dances to the music of our laugh, and then we're going to run gold-belted Neptune and watch him swing on his axles to other worlds as Metalark hits a hook shot and switches the Big Dipper. Standing on the ring of Saturn. For those who never got a chance to see the great Meadowlark Lemon, which when you were talking about him, them being on Wild Wild Sports two times a year, I as a kid remember that. Oh, we would, awesome. If we saw it was being advertised that they were going to show the Harlem Globetrotters, we would purposely stay home on a Saturday just yeah. to watch that. But Meadowlark Lemon's trademark 
amongst his his hijinks he would do on the court was the half court hook shot, which yeah. he never missed. Yeah. He he uh, he shot one one time. He was up in the balcony. He said it was a mile long, <laughs> and he shot that. And he said, "Raven, I didn't think it was ever coming down, but when it did, it was nothing but net." And they filmed it. He 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 was such an amazing person. He knew everybody. Whether uh, when he lived in Los Angeles, uh, Will Chamberlain, Magic Johnson, and uh, two or three other major players were his next door neighbors. And, and then he'd meet somebody in a restaurant or a church and hug them, and it was just like they were lifelong friends. He was one of the most epitome of Christ I've ever seen. Now let's talk about your connection to the Olympics because that's also a very interesting story. So take us through how that all happened. That happened from uh, Frankenberry, Frank Shelton, Frankie <laughs> boy. Uh, he was in the Olympics as the evangelism coronator. And, uh, oh, I was sharing his joy. You know, a lot of times the Bible says weep with those that weep. But it also says rejoice with them that rejoice. You know, uh, Joseph's brothers, when Joseph had the dreams, they didn't rejoice. They was mad about it. In fact, they wanted to kill him. But 13 years later, when they stood before him and he was Pharaoh, they rejoiced. He <laughs> saved them and, and their dad. But God has dealt with me, Paul, that we need to rejoice with people that rejoice and share their dream, share their joy as much as mourn with them that mourn. And, and you know, uh, uh, that's that's 100% either way. And uh, uh, Frank was already there. He was second in command. And this was the Olympics coming up in London. Well, the man who was in charge got sick and had to step down because of ill health. Well, uh Dr. Sam Mings put Frank Shelton in that position. And he said, Frank, somebody's got to take your place. Well, who do you think he said? <laughs> he said, the preaching machine. And uh, so Dr. Sam Mings called me and, and just gave me that position on Frank's uh, word. And we went to London, brother. I was there 22 days. Frank left. He had to, some commitments, and he was there uh, 10 days. And then I stepped into even that position. But I preached to millions of people on uh, satellite, uh, computers, uh, YouTube, and uh, BBC. And, but we just had, it revolutionized my whole ministry. And uh, the preaching machine was known pretty much in America, but between the two uh, Olympics in London and uh, Brazil, I preached one time in Brazil, and there was just thousands in the building, but they put it everywhere, all, all over TV and the Internet, and the next day they showed me videos of people all over the world going, preaching machine, preaching machine, <laughs> preaching machine. I could not write a better script than what Almighty God wrote for me. 
and Frank helped me get in the Olympics. And Nikita was going to go with me and Frank this time to uh, Japan. But, you know, uh, that was canceled, and I still don't know what's going on exactly. But we would have been at our third uh, Olympic, uh, London, England, and then uh, uh, Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, and then Tokyo, Japan. Uh, thanks to Frank Shelton planting uh, saw in the soil of my ministry a good word. So what is your job when you go over something like that? Is it just to preach, or do you have an actual, are you dealing with the Olympians in a certain way? Oh, yes. Uh, in fact, a lot of the Olympians are Christians. And, and what was really neat, especially in London, we'd have an Olympian there. It may be 100 people in that auditorium, maybe thousands, just according to where it was scheduled. And that Olympian would get up and talk about Jesus, and how God had helped them, you know, and they gave a real good testimony. The next night, they'd have a gold medal around their neck talking about Jesus. And uh, we dealt with the Olympians. Uh, but as uh, evangelism coordinator uh, over all of that with me and Frank, uh, we ministered in churches. And, and we'd, we'd get all these churches in unity. Sometimes more than one church would be there gather together and, and we bless the pastors and we'd preach then we'd go out on the street and preach some of the times when we was in uh, Rio de Janeiro some of our crew went out uh, at Randy Shepard and uh, Frank Shelton and some others and went into a gang lord area and the gang lords put down their guns and come over on their motorcycles and listen to us preach and gave us motorcycle rides, and we were warned not to go in there. That, that's that's part of it. And, and then uh, we've got people that take care of us with our food, and we all have uniforms. Uh, Dr. Sam Mings and, and his lovely wife, Sharon, they, they take care of this, uh, about making sure we got uniforms, we've got an identity, and uh, uh, that's uh, lay witnesses for Christ out of Fort Worth, Texas, and they are supreme, imperial. When you talk about Rio de Janeiro, you talk about going into the belly of the beast. It's a, it's a, when people think of that, it's about Mardi Gras and partying and debauchery and all that sort of thing. So uh, to imagine going out into that, and like you said, going into areas you were told not to go, that's got to be a feeling of just amazement in itself and God's power in the fact that you came out alive. Amen, amen. Uh, you know, we know God didn't send us there for us to die. Yes, that's a point well taken. Uh, he didn't send us there to be murdered and lose our life. And uh, we had the confidence and faith in Almighty God. You brought, it, brought us to it. You're going to take us through it. And God gave us favor. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you, Paul. Uh, one thing I've learned in my ministry, one second in God's favor is better than a thousand years out of his favor with human favor. God protected us. We had no fear whatsoever. And, and uh, literally, every place we went, like uh, London and Rio de Janeiro, God, he didn't turn the place upside down. They was already upside down. He turned them right side up. 
and God gave us special favor. And, and we met Christians over there that are lifers and preachers that uh, I've I met that will always be my brothers and sisters in Christ. So what, this may be a weird question, what gives you a bigger thrill, preaching to a mass crowd with thousands of people or preaching at a campground like you where you started out at? Uh, basically, I, I can answer that question. It's like in one breath. You know, Jesus said this in one breath, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. He covered the whole thing in one <laughs> sentence in one breath. Uh, my thrill, whether it's, uh, I was on radio 15 years, uh, television 10 years, uh, and you preach to masses, uh, you don't really see them, but uh, I've preached in churches that uh, run thousands. I've preached in churches that run a few. I've preached in a few churches that didn't run at all. You know, there was more cockroaches and church mice there then there was people. But Jesus said, if there's two or three gathered together in his name, he'll be there. My thrill is knowing Christ is there. The one I'm exalting, the one I'm magnifying, his red, warm, imperial, Calvarian blood to save, and that he put all enemies under his feet. The devil's a liar. He's going to fry like hog meat forever in the lake of fire when we're in the city where the Lamb is the light, knowing God's presence is there, that makes the difference. Crowds don't excite me. I, I preached Jesus when it filled the building. I preached Jesus when it emptied the building. I preach Christ no matter what the results are. And Brother Paul, believe me, the preaching machine's number one thrill is preaching, and the crowd is there, so be it. But I'm going to preach no matter what the crowd is, and they're not going to degree the atmosphere of my preaching. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah Chapter 53, verse 5. Thank you for tuning in to God's Table Talk. Remember, you can listen to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor, and you can watch the full interview on YouTube. I'm your host, Paul Leck. Be blessed, but more importantly, be a blessing. <laughs>